Coach Corey Ween, and this is my video coaching newsletter. And the topic of today's newsletter is going to be neediness, insecurity, and scarcity. Well, today's email is actually from a woman who has recently found out about my work, and she writes a really interesting email because she goes through an experience that she had with a guy that she was dating recently, and all the red flags that were showing up, but that she continued to ignore and now that she's going through my work and going through my book she's really starting to self-diagnose and figure out why she has done what she does in the past in her relationships and also how she can change that thinking around so she no longer continues to attract the same kind of people over and over as the old saying goes if you keep doing what you've always done you're going to continue to get what you've always got And if you're one of those people that's watching this video and you seem to keep attracting the same kind of people over and over and over again, this is a really great email to listen to to help you get some clarity because once you figure out how your history, how your past, even your childhood influences how you show up in all of your personal and professional relationships, it enables you to change that because once you become aware of things, when you become aware of what is actually consciously and unconsciously driving your behavior, then you can get control over it and when you're faced with the same kind of environmental stimuli, if you will, respond in a different way. Like for me, as I've talked about many times, I detail this in my book, when I was younger, my problem was getting past the second or the third date with the kind of women that I really wanted to date. And I never, you know, I went through pretty much my whole 20s not understanding, even my teenage years, not understanding why it seemed like every time I got a girl that I really liked and who really liked me, by the second or third date, she didn't want anything to do with me anymore. And because I believed that I wasn't good enough, because that was my self-perception, I continued to act in ways that were consistent with that and it was the fact that I was behaving in ways that were consistent with not thinking I was good enough or attractive enough or interesting enough or funny enough, whatever it happened to be. I literally was talking every woman that I really liked out of dating me. Now when I was with somebody or dating somebody that I really wasn't that into or I really could have cared one way or another. They were all over me and I wasn't able to put two and two together and notice that the women I really tended to like, I tended to put on a pedestal and treat like a celebrity and constantly do and say things that communicated not only that I wasn't worthy, that I didn't feel like I was worthy and eventually the women got tired of it and they had to agree with me. So I have a quote that I wrote and then we're going to go through her email. And the quote says, fear that we're not good enough or that we won't be loved and accepted are the biggest self-created mental obstacles and barriers that prevent most of us from reaching our full potential and achieving our grandest goals and dreams. Fear causes us to try and force things that are not matching our expectations or to completely avoid taking any action that will move our lives towards what we want. When you think, feel, and know that you are worthy and deserving of greatness, you will act consistently in ways that make that greatness a possibility. When you think, feel, and believe that you are unworthy and not deserving of greatness, 
you will act consistently in ways that consciously and unconsciously sabotage your success and take you further away from what you want. If you presently have a negative self-perception or limiting belief about yourself, the only way to overcome them is to take action towards what you want in spite of your fears on a permanent, consistent daily basis. You must know what you want, why you want it, take action to make it happen, learn from your mistakes, and continually refine and improve your approach over time. Successful people persevere no matter what obstacles, setbacks, and challenges they encounter. Unsuccessful people give up and permanently quit as soon as things get difficult. So in other words, if you've got a flawed way of thinking and being and showing up, you're going to have to take action in spite of that fear. That, that's a muscle that I started exercising when I was very young. In other words, taking action even though I was scared and fearful that things weren't going to work out, I wasn't going to be loved or that I just simply didn't have what it takes. Because at the end of the day, we've got the same amount of hours and minutes and seconds in a 24-hour period as everybody else in the rest of the world. But it's what you do with that time that determines where you're going to be 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now. When you believe that someday you'll get there, it's like you're like the little Michelangelo chipping away at your block of marble to make the perfect sculpture of your life, if you will. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe it's going to work out, then you simply aren't going to pick up the tools and start chipping away because you're going to look at the big mountain of marble or excess that you're trying to chip away to make that perfect statue and just go, oh, I'll never be able to do that or I don't have the right tools, I don't have the experience, it probably won't look right, I don't want to waste my time. And so what happens is just like what unsuccessful people do, they don't take any action or they try to do things where they play it safe and all they end up doing is taking themselves further and further away from the life and lifestyle that they really want. And those are the people that end up in their deathbeds and look back in their lives with nothing but regret because they never really stepped outside their comfort zone. They never really went for it. Or they went for it for a while, but when things didn't turn out the way they expected, they just quit and they gave up because they had to be realistic. It's like one of the things that Steve Jobs said. He's, he said he's convinced what separates successful entrepreneurs from unsuccessful ones is pure – 50% of it is pure perseverance. In other words, most people just give up when it gets difficult. That's like why I said in the quote, it is so important that you know what it is that you want but most importantly you got to know why you want it. in other words if you don't have compelling reasons why you want something like in this particular case this woman obviously is getting to a point where she's just like i'm tired of living like this i'm tired of the same shit happening over and over in my life and i'm tired of continually attracting the same kind of people so with that in mind let's go through her email she says hi Corey, your work is changing my life I'm on the second read of your book and I watch your videos daily. I recently donated $10, which is all I can afford. Well, no matter what you can afford, it's always appreciated. It's nice when somebody goes out of their way to say, hey, you know what? What I learned from you, help me. Here's a five spot. Here's a buck. Here's $50, whatever. 
Always appreciate it. But I will continue to donate when spare money comes my way. At the end of November, I started dating a guy that I met on Bumble, which is a dating app. And even after following your work, I ignored the red flags. Yes, I know, 10 more reads of the book to go. He did everything wrong, spoke about my ex-girlfriends or spoke about ex-girlfriends frequently. He rushed sex and he talked about the future and he texted me constantly. Well, obviously, if you're a woman and you're familiar with my book and you see a guy behaving that way and acting that way on a consistent basis, so, I mean, think about it. He's speaking about ex-girlfriends. Obviously, probably not in a flattering light. He's rushing sex. Why would he be rushing sex? Well, if he's not used to getting what he wants, he's going to come off as being impatient in a rush. This is not somebody that's behaving like he is used to getting what he wants. Talking about the future. Well, if things always work out in the end, like it always does for James Bond, you don't need to worry about the future. But if your life is perpetually in a state of doubt about the future or it feeling like it's not going to work out for you, then you're constantly going to be focused on the future and not in the present moment or what happened in the past and obviously in this case the guy's focusing on his ex-girlfriends probably thinking that he's got to tell this woman his whole life story and get all of his baggage on the table because he just wants to be honest and open because that's what he's seen in all the movies and that's what all the feminists say talk about your feelings get it all out there it's not about dating it's like going you know dating is like therapy that's the way a lot of people tend to make it out in the meat the media and the movies. It's about two whole, happy, complete people coming together to share their completeness. The purpose of all relationships is you go there to give. Three weeks in, he even suggested that we jump right into a relationship. The only guy that suggests a relationship after three weeks is going to be somebody that fears if I don't do it now, somebody else is going to come along and steal you away from me. Does that sound like a guy who's really confident in his own abilities? Obviously not. When he got back from his winter break, instead of pumping the brakes at date one, even though I knew I should, I just went along with all his needy behavior without setting my own boundaries and telling him to pump the brakes which was a needy and scarcity mindset in myself. So remember, like attracts like. So this is obviously something that you're trying to overcome as well. And the only reason you're not going to want to pump the brakes is because you're thinking, I don't want to lose this guy. I don't want to lose the chance or the opportunity. Better not do that. Better not rock the boat. Like for me in my 20s, better not say what's really on my mind because I don't want to offend this girl because I really like her and I want her to like me, so I'll be extra nice. And what ended up happening is I came across as a guy that didn't have a spine and didn't really believe in his convictions. He even gave me a key to his apartment and suggested that I move stuff in. Again, all trying to lock you down to a commitment. And most women see these kinds of behaviors and they think something's off with this guy. I mean, you're, what's cool is you're gonna, as we get to the end of the email, you're going to see one of the reasons why 
what's really driving this guy's behavior. And so what's helpful for women that read my book is to understand the process. So you can recognize a guy that's got his shit together and a guy who doesn't. So you can get out and pull the ripcord right away before you get too far down the line. All after one month, two months in, things got even worse. I noticed that he would refer to me as a friend to his friends and his mother even though he told me I was his girlfriend. He could see himself marrying me, being me being a good mother, etc., etc. This is where you look at what people do, not what they say. So when he's with you, oh, you're my girlfriend, you're great, you're this, we're going to get married, we're going to move in together, it's going to be great, we're going to have amazing kids. And you get, you get around his friends and family, he's like, oh, this is my friend. Isn't that interesting? When I asked him about this, he said, a girlfriend was a person he considered himself to be in love with and he wasn't there with me yet, which is completely understandable after one month. But if you look at the fact he was so overeager in the beginning, because the idea is if somebody really feels this way, you're going to see this behavior consistently. So it sounds like part of it, he was BSing you. And we'll see why he was doing that in a minute. Mind you, he told me that he loved me when he was drunk, even though I never said the words. Along the way, he also jokingly mentioned he was narcissistic and even codependent. He jokingly – there's a lot of truth in Jess. He jokingly mentioned he was narcissistic and even codependent. That's not a joking matter. It's like, well, what did Maya Angelou say? When people tell you who they are, believe them. And if you've read anything about narcissistic people, which there's plenty of information on the internet, you can read about that. They tend to be very good at blowing sunshine up people's ass when they first start dating them, making them feel like the one. And you start to kind of see that. He was giving that flowery language and that BS in the beginning to get you hooked. And then a month later, oh yeah, this is just friend. Ma, yes, yeah, my friend. She's thinking, you always refer to me as your girlfriend when we're together. What's up with that? We ended up having a very long conversation over multiple days and he ended up breaking down to me and crying. Sounds really manly. When he talked about his ex-girlfriend, a former drug addict and college dropout turned community college grad. So you look at a guy who dates somebody who had a drug problem. He mentions that he's codependent, which again, you can Google codependency, drug problems, and you see some interesting behaviors there. Mind you, I'm an Ivy League grad who played a college sport, double majored, I went abroad, and even had a job right lined up when I graduated college. He is underachieving and just Let's success happen to him. Anyway, he described their relationship as he was her father and she was the child. Classic codependency. Sounds really healthy. So when you're dating somebody and they start telling you, oh yeah, these are the kinds of people that they date on a regular basis. It's like head for the fucking hills. Check please. 
I later put two and two together and also realized he was only moving things so quickly with me because his ex-girlfriend had started dating someone and he felt it was his time to move on, aka he was emotionally unavailable the whole time. When she broke up with that guy, he started backing away from me. Hmm. So in a lot of ways, he was using you as a crutch for what he wanted. And because you had the same kind of limiting beliefs, the same kind of needy tendencies, insecurity, scarcity mindset that he has, like attracts like. That's why the universe brings people like that together. Hopefully, when somebody pokes at your weaknesses, it's so you recognize them as weaknesses and you work on them so you become better. And therefore, the next time somebody like this comes along in your life, you recognize that they're just not a healthy person to get involved with and you just keep on moving until you find somebody who is. That's the rub. That's the hard part because when attraction takes over and you just look at somebody's physical looks and everything else goes out the window, you have nobody to blame but yourself when the shit hits the fan. He started backing away from me and started calling me needy, picking fights, etc. Well, if you – again, from narcissists, there's a, a part where they in essence start knocking you down and that's where they get to the point where they discard you. So in other words, your usefulness to him may have potentially run its course because now the ex-girlfriend who obviously he's still really into and he admits he has a codependent type of relationship with her. He gives puts labels on you that makes it easy for him to discard you like you're trash because you've served your purpose to him so he can make himself available for her. She says, long story short, there were major red flags from the beginning but because I was needy, insecure and in a scarcity mindset, I ignored the red flags and I didn't put my foot down which is not okay with me. It's good that you recognize that. That's the important thing. And notice what she says next. I've done this in the past, but I never assessed my behavior to figure out why I acted this way. So she's seen the same kind of guy come into her life over and over again. And it's cool. Now she's starting to recognize, wait a minute, something is fucked up in my approach. When I was a child, my parents were hardly around. We were always with babysitters, etc. and my parents were hardly affectionate with each other and definitely not affectionate with me, no hugs, no I love you. That was exactly how my whole entire family was. So you can imagine, you grow up in an environment, you don't get enough strokes as a kid, you don't get enough attaboys, girls, I love you, I'm proud of you. You don't hear things like that. You don't get any affection. You just all – you look for validation and you either get the crap beat out of you or you get ignored or you get passed off to a babysitter. Oh, hey, here's a lollipop. Oh, hey, here's a pacifier. Oh, hey, here's a video game or hey, here's a dog. Go play in the corner. And you just never get that love and affection. So you grow up. You always want to be loved. You always want to be told that you're good and that you're awesome. And then you grow up and that's what you're used to. And then you find somebody that you're attracted to. They come along and they're not into you and they treat you exactly like your family did. No affection, no reciprocation. And because you don't know any better, this feels normal. 
oh, I'm in love with this person. If I just make them my perfect, prove to them how awesome I am, she'll love me forever and ever. And I'll have that great relationship I never have my my family growing up. Like for me, I didn't realize how my parents behavior and how they raised us and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. I didn't understand how that cold, unaffectionate type of family was having a negative impact. It wasn't until my late 20s, early 30s, I really started to understand this stuff. I was like, oh, it makes total sense. Because it's all, remember, we do things, we buy things based upon emotion, we make decisions based upon emotion, and we use logic and reason to justify their purchase. So if we find somebody we're really attracted to, we feel feelings of attraction, and then we ignore all the red flags. We think, oh, I'll fix them. I'll be different. I'll show her what a great guy I am, and therefore she'll never have a reason to cheat on me like she did on all her previous 10 boyfriends or her previous five husbands that she was with. I'm going to be different. I'm going to save her. I'm going to fix her. We tell ourselves these things. But it's like when you grow up in an environment like this and you recognize how like how this influenced me and obviously how it influenced her, then you can real recognize when you find something you're really attracted to them to say, yeah, I really feel these great strong feelings, but what about this? What are they really like? Let me look at their actions. Let me make sure that they do what they say they're going to do. Because the reality is in life, talk is cheap. And a lot of people talk a lot of shit in life. Very few of them actually follow up and do the things they say they're going to do. One of the quickest ways that I lose interest in people, whether it's a client or it's a new friend or somebody to date or get involved with business-wise or some kind of vendor or somebody I'm thinking about doing business with, the first time they tell me they're going to do something and they just don't follow through, I'm done with that shit. At this point in my life, I just do not tolerate that. If you're a flake, you can go on down the road and find a bunch of other flakes to flake out with. Not interested. For that reason, I used to seek out men who act like my father, unavailable, deceitful. My father has also cheated and still cheats on my mom because I think it's the love I deserve. Definitely changing my mindset. You know, especially you come from a background like her case. Got a father that's always habitually cheated on her mother. And when you're used to that and you come across somebody that is a habitual cheater, you think, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the one that ends this pattern of infidelity. But what you really have to do is look at it as like, well, this person just doesn't share the same goals and values that I do. It's just completely unrealistic if you're dating somebody or starting to date somebody and you find out there's a pattern of cheating and dishonesty and disloyalty and unfaithfulness. And if you think you're going to be different, well, like Ayn Rand said, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. Once I understood all of this, I completely broke things off with him and we haven't spoken since. The power of walking away and never looking back really is amazing. I recently interviewed for a job I didn't think I could ever get and I got it. Just received the offer tonight. That's awesome. So it's like little wins like that. If you don't think you deserve to get the kind of job you really want, 
but you apply the things that I talk about in the articles, how to get any job you want, how to ensure your resume gets you hired, and some of the other articles that I've done on job interviews and stuff over the years. If you've never felt like you've gotten the kind of job that you want and you deserve or the pay that you want, when you negotiate on your behalf and you, f- you apply those things that I talk about in those articles and then you get that job just like she has, that's one of those little things that undoes that negative programming. Even if you're 50 years old and you've never got the job that you really wanted and the pay that you really wanted and you, apply, you go after a new job with a different approach and a different mindset and in an attitude of I'm going to apply myself in this diligent way and it's just a matter of time before I get the job I really want. It's like that's these little victories, those are the little victories that undo the kinds of things that you tell yourself you can have and you've never had and you're not used to having it but then all of a sudden like every day she goes and works at this job. She's like, I did this. I got this job. I talked my way into it and like for me when i was younger getting past the second date the third date the fourth date making love dating that woman having her ask me to be her boyfriend getting to experience real true love where i'm with somebody that i'm in love with and who feels the same way with me every day that i got to date that very first girl and every woman that I've had the honor of dating since then, that is the kind of woman that I always felt I deserved. It's like that makes up for all those decades and that lack of success and all the shit that happened to me in childhood and all the things that I missed out on and screwed up in my 20s. It's like each success that you have is like one chip away. It's just like chipping away part of that negative self-perception that we all tend to develop about ourselves whether it has to do with our body image or our career or our business or the kind of clients we want or the kind of friends we want to have the kind of people we want to date that's why it's so important those little victories those little victories only happen because you refuse to give up you continually applied yourself you continually took action you continually tried to get better and you simply focused on getting better each and every day of your life so if you'd like to get my help personally the quickest way is to go to my website click the products tab at the top of your screen and follow the instructions for booking whichever coaching option works best for you and i will talk to you soon